Hi everyone, this is Peter Levin, and you're listening to another episode of In Good Hands, a show about the companies and founders solving our climate crisis. Today, I interview Pierre Paslier, co-founder and co-CEO of Notpla. Notpla is one of the most compelling companies I've seen in the last few years. At the high level, it's a sustainable packaging company. But what they've managed to do is to create these little edible Tide Pod-like things that can be filled with water, juices, ketchup, you name it. So that instead of getting these water bottles or these plastic packaging that you use for five minutes and then throw away and live on for hundreds of years, you get these little things that you can just either put on your food or eat entirely and that's it. I mean, these things are borderline magic. You really have to see it to believe it. And in the episode, Pierre and I will discuss what exactly inspired the idea for Not Plaza Company and the initial OHO product, the core use cases for something like this, other products that are in the pipeline, and the moonshot for a company like theirs. Everyone, this is really one of the most interesting conversations I've had. It truly is a once in a generation product. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy our conversation with Pierre Pasliet, co-founder and co-CEO of Notpla. Pierre, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Pierre, we've been trying to, to lock this down for a couple weeks. I'm so excited that we can kick off this morning. For anyone listening, if you haven't heard of Notpla before, it is borderline magic. Like if you see this thing, <laughs> you really ask yourself how this is possible. So Pierre, Mind giving our listeners just a quick spark notes. What is Notpla? So Notpla is a sustainable packaging startup based in London. We started five years ago and we mainly use seaweed as an alternative to single-use plastic. The goal is really to try to tackle the kind of useless plastic packaging around by using a natural material that is both like natural and renewable, completely biodegradable in any condition in the environment, but also edible. And that's what usually makes a big difference with a lot of different bioplastics and other solutions. We have something that is essentially from the, the world of fruits and vegetables. So you really are sure that it's not going to create a problem in nature wherever it ends up. And mm. our first product, which we call OHO, is a little spherical sachet that can contain different kinds of liquids like water or juices, drinks, even cocktails or condiments. And it's about a sip size. We can make it different size, but like it's about the size of like a cherry tomato. And we've been using that for instant consumption instead of small plastic bottles or plastic cups in marathons and festivals. And the cool thing is that you can literally pop the whole thing and like eat the, the packaging at the same time as drinking whatever's inside. So it's a, it's a way to get rid of the packaging as quickly as you finish the use of the content, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Amazing. And again, for everyone listening, I don't typically recommend turning off the interview, but I, I don't believe I'm understating <laughs> the magic in this product. So if you have a second, go to Notpla at Notpla on Instagram and you'll see exactly how the OHO manifests. 
it really is an extraordinary product. But before we get into the applications and the hows and whys, let's rewind for a second. I'm looking at your LinkedIn now and you have a really interesting background. So let's start with A, what was the eureka moment behind Napla and how did you come to start it? So I, I started working as a packaging engineer. Actually, I was working for L'Oreal in the cosmetics industry, working on industrializing like shampoo and skincare products, typically plastic bottles, and seeing them being used at incredible speed on those conditioning lines. It's just insane when you see all that plastic being produced and filled so quickly. And then you can't stop but thinking, where does it all end up? at the speed that we produce it. And I think that that was something that was at the back of my mind. In between, I basically kind of like quit my job at L'Oreal and I went to study a master's in London called Innovation Design Engineering at the Royal College of Art and Imperial College in London. And that's where I met my co-founder. The goal was to basically take a couple of years to really take the time to explore some ways that we could be working on some topics that really make a difference. And with Rodrigo, my co-founder, the, the project started very much as a experimental type of project. It wasn't meant to be a startup from the start. And initially, the idea was to create a man-made fruit, trying to replicate how nature encapsulates things from egg yolks to cells to vegetables and fruits. And not being really a biologist or a chemist, we just looked at existing materials, existing types of technologies that we could leverage to make a packaging that would be truly sustainable. And we targeted beverages because we thought that this small plastic bottle is kind of the quintessential type of waste we're going to leave behind on this planet as humans. We use it in less than five minutes, and yet it's going to be in the environment for hundreds of years. So it really felt like, in a way, the worst use of plastic as a material. And so we just started experimenting in our kitchens because we didn't really have access to a lab at that point, ordering a bunch of powders of Amazon and Alibaba and just trying to replicate different things that we could uh, fine from like old patents to like YouTube videos. And we tried things with tapioca seeds and like, like cellulose and all sorts of starches. And eventually we started looking into seaweed extracts. And that's really when we started to make the first prototypes of OHO. And at the beginning, they were really, really far from being convenient or even kind of like mechanically sound. They were just like mm -hmm. a bit of a blob, but there was something quite interesting to it. There was something that was a bit, yeah, like, it felt like it could be some sort of weird fruit or uh, nature could produce something like this. And, and the fact that it was all food grade edible like extracts was quite mm -hmm. interesting. And actually at that point when we were showing it to our flatmates and our friends, the first thing that people would typically say is, oh, ho, or this kind of like sound of surprise. So that was the <laughs> name for it. So that's where the name came from. This kind of like wow. weird reaction to um, whatever this new thing is. And at wow. that point... We literally just kind of wrapped up the project, did a little video explaining how to kind of like make such a prototype and we put it on, on YouTube and the idea was to move on to the next project. And we didn't anticipate that actually lots of people would really find that, first of all, quite kind of like intriguing, but also that like people were actually quite excited for this to become a, a true alternative to some type of single-use plastic. And 
at that point, it didn't really have necessarily all things figured out and all of the kind of like uh, boxes checked for being a sound packaging. Mm-hmm. But the concept was there and the people who saw this on YouTube and social media and the first journalists who wrote about it were really excited to see this becoming reality. And at that point, after a few million views on those videos on, on social media, we thought, well, we've got to try to push it further. This is something that is quite exciting. And at that point, that's when we decided to get started as a startup rather than going to look for a job when we graduated mm-hmm. working for someone else. And, and that was the start, the starting point for the company. Amazing. Okay. So this is typically one of the more interesting parts of the startup journey because I think how most of these experience and ventures start is you have a hunch, you have a hypothesis about how the future can look. And the trickiest part is then navigating the segue or the stepping stone between either academic project or side hobby to company. So at this time, when you get validation from social, you know, millions of people are saying this is so cool. What is the next leap? Do you proceed to raise a round of capital? I mean, what happens after that? So honestly, we really jumped into the whole startup thing without having necessarily the business skill set or even the the typical motivation of starting a business for the sake of starting a business. So it was quite interesting because we truly believed in in this vision that we could actually reduce a big chunk of use of, of plastic with our solution. And we were really passionate about making this a lot more viable. But we had to pick up all of the rest of the things you have to do to be a successful functioning business. And so it really took a, a bit of time. We basically got some grant funding from the European Union, which allowed us to get a few chemists working on the material to kind of like boost the properties to be more of a packaging than like a food. And we got a lot of support as well from an incubator to um, like get a bit of a business proposition together more than just a, a cool concept. But it really took some time. And actually, I think that one of the things that was hard was to convince people that beyond the, the kind of like viral video, there was something that was actually truly economically viable and that would really make a good business case. We mm-hmm. talked with typical like business angels and early stage funds for months and everyone was passing on us. Everyone was like, oh, that's interesting, but come back when you've got a lead, when you've got someone who's actually kind of like uh, jumping in first on this, we'll follow, but you've got to find someone else to be the first one. And so after months of that, we we really had like a little hope that we were going to fund the business and there was a bit of a, a rough patch And eventually, as we grew the team and we had people who were really helping us on developing all aspects of the proposition, we made the decision of kind of like going all in and trying to fund through an equity crowdfunding campaign. So basically, Mm -hmm. a bit like a Kickstarter, but instead of pre-buying the product, you buy shares of the company, but for as little as uh, £10 or $10 or something like this. And so that was relatively novel way of like funding for startups we knew that some of the later stage investors didn't like too much this type of funding structure because you have hundreds of people on your cap table if that makes sense but 
that was our our only option and also we quite like the idea that in a way people had really kind of like pushed us in the first place to get started on this company because they liked the video and they liked what they were seeing so it felt normal to go back to people and just say hey do you want to see this kind of like go to the next level so we ran that campaign and it was a like really incredible kind of like amount of uh, positive reaction we we raised about a million dollars 850,000 pounds in just three days so that was super fast it wow. went viral again we had like uh, a video on Facebook that got a hundred million views it was just like completely insane <laughs> and it was a really nice validation as well that like, maybe traditional investors wouldn't fund this but normal people who just are excited about like alternatives to single-use plastic were. And, and I think that we try to make that part of our DNA as well, really trying to get as much of a relationship with the people who believed in us in, like, in the first hour as possible because they, they really help us shape the, like, the company. Wow. Okay, so first of all, amazing. Not <laughs> something that is in any founder's blueprint, right? No one could Im- imagine or forecast an outcome of that scale in this period of time. So l- now let's fast forward a little bit. You raise a good amount of capital, right? You have sufficient financing. You have over 100 million views. You have this validation from the public. And now I can imagine, you know, have this kind of robust R&D process plus trying to figure out where exactly the core product market fit is going to be, right? What is the business model going to be? How are you going to make this a sustainable company? So if we fast forward a little bit, what type of business model did you arrive on? Because what I initially imagined selling these units is not actually, right? Selling the actual OHOs is not actually what it appears the model is. So talk me through the kind of core product areas you're looking to serve. And two, what is the business model? Yeah. So I think you're right that like the first step for us was to really identify the, the best applications for what we had created. Our product is very different to typical packaging, very different to plastic. It's amazing at biodegrading. It can biodegrade in four to six weeks, so it's extremely fast. But it also means that it doesn't have a very long shelf life. So we had to look at places where this short shelf life, the shelf life of like more like a fruit than like a typical container, was going to work. And so we focused on on-the-go consumption because we also felt that that was where plastic was the least adequate material for the job. And so within on-the-go consumption, we kind of identified quite quickly that this would be a really good application for running events and marathons. We've all seen the sea of plastic that you see after a race because it's piling up. People are just kind of like dropping bottles on top of each other or cups. And it's all used within a day, but it's also like literally used within seconds once the, the runner has grabbed it. So that was one good application. And so we we started doing more and more of these races as a test. And we also looked at other places of on-the-go consumption, like festivals and general sampling of products. We also find a lot of interest in sources. 
the ketchup and mayo uh, stick sachets that you get with your delivery, your like hot food delivery on a Friday night or whatever it is. So we, we kind of identified those specific places where our packaging could be the, the, the best choice for the job. And we also had the choice of either making our own product all the way to the consumer and being kind of like the only ones being able to use that type of packaging or actually just being the packaging partner and letting all of the brands, all of the content kind of like brand owners and, and manufacturers use our packaging instead of plastic. And that just felt very natural looking at like the vision and, and the mission of reducing the use of plastic that we would just be the packaging partner. So in a way, we're a B2B business. We really work with those companies so that they can integrate our technology and package things with our materials. But we are going all the way to the consumer because it's such a different packaging proposition that we have this strong connection with consumers as well. And so as a result, what we have developed is both the, the material itself, which is extracted from seaweed, but also the machine that produces and fills and seals this kind of packaging. And so the proposition is basically to lease the machines, like on a monthly rental base, and then sell the cartridges of material for the content manufacturers, the like beverage manufacturers or the ketchup or water or whoever fill themselves this product. And so when you look at it, it's actually quite a like a normal packaging company business model. We provide the enabling equipment and the materials, but obviously because it's very novel, we also help them all the way to basically integrate this, communicate about it and make sure that we can have the lowest environmental impact possible. Super, super interesting. It's kind of like we had uh, Bevy yeah. on the the podcast a couple of weeks ago. Obviously, super different. Um, but there's and... similarities. You're right. And I think one of the things that is quite interesting for us is that actually our technology, our machine is actually a lot more compact than traditional kind of like plastic conversion technologies. So mm -hmm. you don't need a huge plant. You can actually make things in a much smaller scale, like a industrial kitchens scale. So what it means is that we are able to work on a local manufacturing scale, which means that we can also reduce transportation and produce things fresher and more uh, locally. And that's also, I think, a, a really nice combination with the material so that we don't only reduce the use of plastic and re remove that pollutant um, from the, the environment, but we also mm -hmm. are able from the production perspective to reduce the carbon intensity and the energy intensity of having to move things over very la large distances because you need to rationalize the use of a full plant. Absolutely. I mean, you look at the marathon example. Imagine if you're working with the city of New York and we have our annual New York Marathon and the city or the marathon organizers could pump out thousands of these little juice sachets um, or water sachets yeah. within, I don't know, same day, couple days. And instead of having to transport it hundreds of miles, thousands of miles, it could be produced right in the city. Exactly. You, you, you can't beat that. 
Yeah, and that's what we've done last year for the London Marathon. We've been working with a sports energy drink company called Lucozade, and we were basically like making their entire hydration station plastic-free. And that's what we were doing. We were basically producing everything in London and completely reducing the, the footprint, both in terms of the plastic use, but also in terms of the efficiency of transportation. So that's really the, the model we have in mind. We think that we could have hundreds of small hubs producing for their local area all around the world. And that would be a much more efficient way to, um, to go about it. Wow. Okay, so... Now that we understand the model a little bit more, I don't know how much of the pricing information is made public, but to the extent that you feel comfortable sharing, how comparable or cost competitive is producing these types of units? Like if I'm a manufacturer of a beverage product or like you said, a condiment, is this something that is economical. Talk me through a little bit about the the comparisons there to the extent that you feel comfortable. Sure. So what's really interesting as well on this side is that when you start looking at the whole system, you can see how we can really move the needle, not just on the material, but on the overall kind of cost of delivering uh, a beverage or like a sauce. So first of all, on the material side, currently we are still a very small startup compared to the giant uh, packaging companies like Tetra Pak or Amcor. So we haven't re- rationalized as much the price of machinery. We can't buy our materials in larger com- quantities. So currently there is definitely a premium associated with our product, which to be honest at the moment hasn't been really a problem because I think that um, the companies we work with, they realize that they are in for the long run and there is actually quite a lot of value in being a first mover. When we talk about like getting hundreds of millions of views on social media, that's a much, much bigger value than like the piece uh, of difference on like a packaging. Mm-hmm. So we will get there and the material is extremely renewable. It has the potential of being uh, truly kind of like viable economically, but it, it will take a bit of time. On the other side, when you look at the full cost of uh, plastic packaging, very often we forget all of the kind of like unaddressed costs of plastic. We know um, the, the impact it has on the marine environment, on our food supplies, on all of the animals and plants that suffer from microplastics. But at a closer scale to some of those examples we were talking about, when you're organizing a race in, in the city, you've got to pay to remove all of those bottles from the street. So actually, when you look at the cost of cleaning up, this is something that is an order of magnitude more expensive than the packaging itself. So when you can make a packaging that is actually a lot easier to clean or a lot uh, easier to make disappear, you're not just kind of like replacing the plastic, you're also removing the need for the intense amount of human effort to pick up those bottles, empty them. If you want to try to recycle them, you've got to empty each one of the water that is left. You've got to sort them. And all in all, it costs um, a lot more than the price of the packaging in the first place. So what it means for a race organizer or for like a brand is that when they look at the whole scale, even if currently the material might be a little bit of a premium, they can really see that all in all, it makes sense now. 
and it will be more making more and more sense as we continue and as we grow. Wow. And as you scale to other parts of the world, what are some of the popular use cases or products that general consumers like myself will see in the market outside of the sachets and marathons? What are some of the other core use cases or products that we'll see? So one other use case that we haven't talked about is around cosmetic products, the single dose type of samples you might see in like hotels for amenities. And we've started to do some testing on, on that. There's some interesting things that we can potentially do. But more importantly, one of the really exciting things with Notply is that we are continuously finding ways to apply the material that we've created for, for different types of applications. And so OHO was very much our first product and it's the one that we've like developed the most. But in the past couple of years, we've, we've started to work on two other potential product lines. One of them is a coating that we can apply onto cardboard to make it more water resistant and grease proof. And typically when you get like a, a salad or uh, like uh, hot food in a, in a cardboard uh, box, there is a very thin layer of plastic. Otherwise the cardboard will go very like soft. And that's uh, a property of cardboard that you can't really kind of like do anything about. So you've got to put some sort of liner there to make the, the box functional. And so we've started to test industrially the application of our Notpla material as a coating onto the, the cardboard. And we've actually started testing the first boxes with a few restaurants in London. And this is really exciting because this is the first like plastic-free cardboard takeaway box that they've been able to, to test that is free from any of the nasties that you usually find on those cardboard products. None of the synthetic agents that they might use to work around this kind of like problem around grease proofing or, or waterproofing. So that's another product that we are working on at the moment. And the third product line, which is a little bit earlier stage, is basically a heat sealable transparent film that could be used for making all sorts of different like pouches and bags for uh, dry products, dry food or components, electronics. Typically, if you think of the, the little bag of uh, screws and nuts that you get when you order uh, IKEA furniture, that's this kind of packaging that we are targeting with this solution. And the great thing with wow. that particular film is that it's uh, heat sealable with a traditional like plastic packaging machinery. So we don't have to change the machines in that case. We can use the existing machinery. This product is not so great with uh, wet products, unlike the OHO. But for dry products, it's really exciting. And we are actually starting the first industrial trials with a couple of selected brands who are testing these with consumers. The feedback so far is great. So it's quite exciting to see that actually there is a lot more that uh, seaweed can do for sustainable, disposable packaging. And that we're going to uh, see these basically like grow a lot and, and, and come to the market quite, quite soon. Wow. Pierre, this is a moonshot company. <laughs> I, I, I want to uh, zoom out for just a second because as it stands today, the existing flagship product alone could be a multi-hundred million dollar, maybe larger business, probably 
billion dollar business. And then you have these other product lines that are in the pipeline that could supplant and usurp products that are made in the millions every single day. I mean, these are fundamental substitutes to these kind of core commodity products consumers use every day. As you look to fulfill the possibilities, obviously um, bringing on the right team members, making sure that you can satisfy the needs of your potential customers, you're pushing forward R&D. I mean, you must be hiring like crazy. Who are the types of people you're looking for to bring onto the team? Yeah, so you're right that the challenge ahead is very big. And honestly, we have such a incredible team and we have uh, a lot of diversity, which I think allows us to jump from one problem to another and solve those things that are quite kind of like common problems, but with a new pair of eyes. So we, we have a really nice like multidisciplinary approach to those problems. The team is composed of chemists and chemical engineers working on the material. We have an engineering team working on the manufacturing technologies and the machines. We have a design team that basically prototypes and experiments new ways to apply the materials that we come up with into viable products. We have a commercial team that is working on helping those brands that we work with change behavior and adopt those new uh, solutions. And we have now uh, a, a production team that allows us to basically produce OHOs in London in larger and larger quantities as we increase the number of machines that we have in line. So it's a very nice combination of people who have like a very specific core skill, but are able to work together with very different uh, like people with different skill sets. And I think that you need a lot of that to be able to solve problems that typically would not be able to be solved just with one type of uh, discipline. Mm -hmm. And at the moment, I mean, what are your kind of 1A, 1B, 1C hiring needs? Like who are the people that you need yesterday? So right now we are we're, we're hiring a lot in our technical teams still because there's a lot of things to progress on technology. So chemists and engineers, we're also seeing a lot more demand from our clients and, and like corporates who are interested in this technology. So we also are hiring on the commercial team to be able to really guide these companies through our product offering. Mm -hmm. So a little bit everywhere. And luckily we just raised another round of funding back in December. So that's really exciting because it's going to allow us to really push commercialization of the three product lines a lot further. And so that means that we are accelerating the pace and we are trying to bring those solutions to the market as quickly as possible. Obviously, there's a little bit of like a short-term like challenges related with the COVID-19, but actually we're going ahead with a lot of our activities and our hiring as much as possible because we see the demand for sustainable packaging growing very fast. And I think especially in those times where we're kind of like sitting at home for many, just kind of like rethinking about the kind of society we live in and what kind of things we want back from the normality, if that makes sense, there's going to be a, 
a lot of people who become a lot more aware of the fact that we need to be more sustainable. We need to reduce our uh, carbon footprint. We need to think of the consequences of all of the things we buy. And so I think that it's really exciting for alternative materials like Notpla. And, and not just for us, but I think that th there's a lot of other startups with specific um, solutions for specific problems using all sorts of natural materials from mushrooms to crab shells to like all sorts of different uh, biomass that have a, a role to play in this, in this new society that we are uh, working on building right now. Pierre, this has got to be one of the most compelling projects that A, I've discovered in the last few years, Thanks. but B, just hearing what's in the pipeline and what the future could look like. I mean, listening to this, how can you not get pumped for what's in store? What I like to do at the back end of each of my conversations with founders like yourself is zoom out for a second, you know, get off of the technical, the business and just get a, a better sense of who you are, why you are who you are. So I want to pull uh, a couple things that I found about you. One of the things that I found, <laughs> that's pretty funny. I know that you're a, a big fan of do-it-yourself projects. I mean, clearly it's built into the DNA of Notpla. But on your LinkedIn, you said that you love DIY, especially if it involves homemade drones lifting dangerous electronic components or new ways of decorating the streets when nobody is watching. Can you unpack that? <laughs> what, what does that mean? Um, I, for a very long time, I've been really interested in, uh, interested in street art and especially with, I think, in the past few years, there's been a lot of activism and a lot of exploring new ways of getting the message across when people are feeling that they are not being heard. And, and I think that that led like, one of my projects to really focus on building new tools for activism. And so I was looking at uh, ways to kind of like reach like remote places, like sticking like messages like on like the, the top of uh, like a shiny tower to get the message to the, to the boss who's like looking through the window or whatever it is. So that's the one involving drones lifting some sort of kind of like sticking mechanism to, mm -hmm. to, to deliver the message. But in general, I think that, yeah, like I, I like to, to make things and to get my hands into the, like, like those, those types of little projects and mechanisms. Mm -hmm. And, and at the beginning that was, that, that was the best way to prototype like how we could manufacture things for not apply in a, in a, in a low cost, but more kind of like mechanical way. We didn't have at that point the money to get a full on engineering team or work with like consultants or subcontractors. So you've got to do it a little bit like the DIY way to start with. So I think that that's been a, like, that's been a, a good use of those skills for Notpla, but I like to continue getting involved in those kind of projects on, on, on my spare time. Another thing that I, at least selfishly for myself, I've always tried to improve my public speaking skills. And right, there's a host of books that talk about tactics, there's videos. And I know you have 
I mean, pretty much over the last few years, you've been on, on a press tour, right? Constantly in social, you're speaking at TEDx conferences. What What's your hack, right? How have you managed to polish and perfect your public speaking skills? What's your advice to someone who's looking for a tactic or a way to be better at that? <laughs> I don't know if I have any specific advice to to give, but I think that when you're when you're talking about a project all the time over and over, it becomes a second nature. And I think that that's that's certainly the case for for Notpla. There's very few moments where I feel like I haven't been thinking about this question or I haven't had like uh, to come across these type of comments because I've been talking about it for for so long. And I think that really helps just jump in and 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 trust that you've you've kind of like thought of a lot of these things before. And and I think that in a way the masters that I studied at where I met my co-founder Rodrigo, we had like pretty much every week you had to pitch your project, you had to uh, present in front of like uh, an audience, and you were getting a lot of feedback on how you could improve your 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 presentation skills as well as the project itself. So I think that that constant going back at it and just like yeah pitching again and and again that really helped with being a little bit more confident in just taking those opportunities, taking the risk of being a little bit kind of like, uh, yeah, a little bit anxious before like jumping in on the, on the stage or whatever it is, but you get, you just get used to it. Mm-hmm. God, yeah. So it's, it's, it's all about repetition, right? Getting yeah. it, getting in your at bats. I completely agree with you. The more you say or talk about a thesis of yours or passion project, it just becomes so second nature. The, the last question and i've been using this one over the past couple interviews and it's quickly turned into my favorite i think the common denominator across inventors creators founders is we're constantly thinking of new ideas and 99 of the 100 ideas typically uh, get dropped thrown away into what i like to call our idea graveyard Right, they're amazing. They're the next trillion dollar idea for a day, and the next day, they're the worst idea you ever thought of. Right, but some of these are really good. You just don't have the time to work on them. So my question for you is, what is one of these ideas for you? What is an idea that you thought was interesting or compelling, but you've kind of dropped into your idea graveyard because you don't have the time to work on it, or it's out of your domain? <laughs> that that's a, a good question that I haven't had at least for a while. Let me think. I think one of the well, maybe one of our weaknesses with Rodrigo at Notpla is that we basically like to pursue at least a little all of these ideas, at least the ones that are related with uh, like packaging. So we have like a really amazing team of designers who are jumping on uh, those new things that come up either like from uh, some insights or from some of the work that the chemist might have been doing on a, a new type of material or some of the uh, engineers rigs for some new manufacturing technology. And they, they basically kind of like try to get the most of this in the shortest amount of time. And we, we, we have learned over the years that we need to apply some sort of focus because otherwise we'll just you know, keep on like spreading out ourselves thinner and thinner. But I think that's one of the amazing thing with with Notply. It's kind of a platform for really giving like the like 
giving a shot at these things before we, we discard them or we think that they are not feasible. On the like maybe completely left field side of things, a few years ago, there was another collaborative project with, with some friends from uni where we made the... Um, Basically, it was, you know, Legos for like the building blocks. We were trying to make smart Legos that would know their position in space so that you could basically build something in Legos and save that thing as a digital file. So that would be a a much easier way of doing kind of like computer-aided design for people who are not really good with uh, software. We even made like like a, a fake little video ad of that. We called it Lego X. And that was quite cool. And we even get got to like speak with someone related to Lego about like potentially trying to like push it further. But in the end, we were just like focusing on other projects and it never really happened. But that was kind of a, an interesting one of basically being able to create things in the digital world with physical Legos. That is so cool. It reminds me of a similar project that I've seen. I mean, there's been a number of... of hype cycles around AR and different applications of it. One of the more interesting ones that are related to to yours, different take entirely, but the idea of just like fabricating environments just by using hand gestures, right? Like you want to do X and this will happen. Another one that I know someone will build, it's just a matter of time. It's really hard, but like voice activated environment creation. Imagine saying, you know, Santa's walking down the street and all of a sudden a dragon comes out of left field and, and spits fire. Like imagine if you could talk and I, but I I think everyone has this kind of like Hail Mary dream of what voice enabled AR could look like. That could be really cool. Yeah. Well, it's uh, yeah, like every, everything is about uh, implementation. And, and so I think that when you put your, your energy to it, lots of things can happen. So, Maybe you can jump on one of those projects and get it going. <laughs> Man, I've enjoyed this conversation so much. There's nothing left to do. I, I I love to roll the red carpet before we part ways. Is there any final call to actions, hiring needs, anything you want to leave with our listeners? The floor is yours. I think one of the things that I've witnessed with uh, all of the meetings we've had in the past five years with policymakers and with big brands and companies who are um, basically producing all of the goods that we use on our everyday life. The amount of change that has happened in the past few years from completely kind of like disregarding like any kind of like sustainable solutions because they didn't feel that they had to act to now being really, really conscious that their next PR crisis might be around the corner because the wrong person is going to tweet that this thing is full of plastic or this thing is just like overpackaged. I think that what's really exciting is to see the power of all the people who like unknowingly have been interested in the topic, have like shared things online and have basically created the the environment for things to change much faster than the industry would have ever kind of like, like imagined. So I think it's it's just saying that when people care and when they say that they don't want something and that they're not like satisfied with the current offering, it really creates the the setting for things to change. And I think that yeah, like people need to feel empowered that after a while, when 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 uh, when things have been kind of like said and and the awareness has been created, 
there is really an opportunity to have a, a, a big impact. And, and so in a way, thanks to all the people who've really kind of like cared about these issues because it allows startup like us to really have a, like a place around the table and say, hey, let's do packaging differently. Pierre, I couldn't agree with you more. Again, thank you so much for coming on. We'll have to do this uh, in 12 months. <laughs> Sounds good. If you enjoyed the episode, please consider subscribing and writing us a review. Also, if you have any recommendations about a founder or a company that you'd like to see on the show, let us know. Message us on social at In Good Hands. Also, special shout out to Dan Mahoney, who produced this week's episode, and Eddie Knuckles, our music director. I'm your host, Peter Levin. You can find me on Instagram or Twitter at Peter A. Levin. And that's it. Looking forward to bringing you another new episode next Tuesday.